From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. And so we really need to figure out how do we welcome them into our in-person practices? How do we keep them engaged with our patients who are coming to see us physically? Because we've already said people want to see their physicians physically. Um, And so we need people to be able to welcome our patients into our practices to provide that care. That's Katie Lawrence, Executive Director, Ambulatory and Medical Group Optimization at Prisma Health, talking about engaging staff in an optimal way so that practices are retaining their best and brightest employees. We'll hear more from Katie in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you still asking your patients, how did you hear about us? Listen, there are better ways to track that. Your great reputation, fantastic website, and amazing advertising campaigns don't matter if they don't bring in new patients. If you're not collecting data on your marketing efforts, you're wasting your marketing spend. Visit get.socialclimb.com forward slash MGMA to learn how Social Climb's platform helps you get more patients with data-backed marketing that tracks patients from first touch to a scheduled visit and beyond. It's that time again, registration for MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. We're going to pull out all the stops once again for the premier medical practice conference. Last year in San Diego, Leaders was a blast, and it was nice to get back to in-person events. So I'm excited to attend again this year in Boston. The conference is this October 9th through 12th, so register soon and don't miss this opportunity to learn and advance your career. Head to mgma.com forward slash events to learn more. Our guest today is Katie Lawrence, Executive Director, Ambulatory and Medical Group Optimization at Prisma Health. Katie's here today to talk about engaging staff in an optimal way so that practices are retaining their best and brightest employees. Katie will also be speaking twice at MGMA's Leaders Conference in Boston. Well, Katie, thanks so much for joining us again um, on the MGMA Insights podcast. Well, you're welcome. I'm always glad to come back. So glad to thank you for the opportunity. You got it. So we had you on the show. I looked it up. It was in March. You were talking about your personal leadership journey. You were talking about the power of a a positive mindset. Um, Today, we're going to expand on that leadership concept, get into some other uh, ideas you have about leadership and leading teams. You're going to be speaking twice in Boston at MGMA's Leaders Conference. That's going to be held October 9th through the 12th. So I just, uh, I'm curious about this. First, what excites you about talking live in front of that MGMA audience? I think for as much as we can leverage technology, the energy in a room when you are interacting with people, human to human, is just palpable. 
Um, we are community creatures and we love to be with people. Now, some of us need our time alone too, but um, I, I think that the fact that we have all really come out of the last two years of pandemic, excited to see one another, we're seeing it even in healthcare where patients want to come back and see their physicians in person um, and speakers want to go see their audiences in person. I love to interact with people, to see smiling faces, to see inquisitive faces, to see faces that are ready to learn and absorb and interact with one another. I think there's just not much that replaces the energy of being in a room together and being able to have a real-time dialogue around a table, um, you know, from on stage to the floor to, you know, however we are interacting, whether that's in, you know, big, big spaces or, you know, more intimate discussion groups. So I'm excited. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now, let's uh, take a deeper dive into these couple of sessions you're going to be uh, presenting at the conference. The first one, it's titled Stop the Revolving Door, Recruit and Retain High-Performing Employees. Give us the elevator pitch for any of us that might be interested in that topic. Sure. Well, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that we are losing employees in healthcare. The interesting thing, though, is that we aren't losing too many out of healthcare entirely. Most of the time, we're trading employees. So we're seeing employees go from you know, one medical practice to another, or from the inpatient space to the outpatient space, or from the outpatient space to working remotely. We're seeing a lot of nurses who can do coding documentation or other sorts of remote work or remote patient monitoring. So it's a, just a whole different way of interacting with patients, but they're still wanting to interact with patients. And that tells me that, that employees still want to be part of this industry. And so we really need to figure out how do we welcome them into our in-person practices? How do we keep them engaged with our patients who are coming to see us physically? Because we've already said people want to see their physicians physically. Um, and so we need people to be able to welcome our patients into our practices to provide that care. And so that's what this session is all about. How do we do that? How do we do that in a way that welcomes those team members. We know as leaders, we have to be emotionally intelligent and self-aware. We can't just show up and say, I'm the boss and this is your paycheck. And, you know, this isn't the 1940s anymore. <laughs> We've long <laughs> since left that model behind. Um, and we need to be able to engage our leader, our team members as leaders who want to welcome them there, right? Like, it's not just about, I'm the boss and, and you'll do what I say. We really need to be self-aware, self-reflective, um, and create a culture where team members want to engage, not only with us, but with one another and with their peers, uh, with physicians, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay. I love that you gave a shout out to the 1940s. You don't hear one of those every day, but... Uh... <laughs> I think in the 40s, it was just all hands on deck, you know, it was for World War II. So I think everybody was just, we were just plowing ahead. You know, I say we like I was there. I'm, I'm old. I'm not quite that old. <laughs> but, um, um, so I do want to ask you an important question here then. You're talking about recruitment and retention. Is one more difficult right now than the other as far as staffing um, a medical practice? I think it's two sides of the same coin. Okay. I don't know that one is really more 
difficult than the other. I, I do think that we're seeing a different type of employee um, interviewing. It's more rare that we are seeing a highly skilled, highly engaged go-getter ready to engage in the workforce. I think um, even our college graduates who came out of the their schooling this past spring maybe didn't jump into the workforce as fast as prior generations or maybe five or seven years ago would have. Um, they're looking for potentially different things. They're maybe taking a, a gap year of sorts or going into more schooling. Um, it's hard to say exactly um, why we are seeing different different types of applicants, but I think we are. I think that's a pretty standard or, or you know, a pretty common experience. I think the other thing that happens, so is once we get that awesome candidate in the door, we want to make sure that we are retaining them and not just retaining the new person, but retaining the person who's been with our practice for 10 years, 12 years, you know, 24 years. What do we do to make sure that they aren't taking all of that knowledge and walking out the door with it? What do we do to make sure that we are engaging them in a way that says, please don't, you know, go to an all remote workforce for some other company. Let us see what we can do to, you know, make part of your workday remote if that's what's going to engage that employee. Or how do we then begin to think about the ways that we make it fun to come to work and that it is different because we plenty of employees don't want to work from home (laughs) or want to work on a more flexible schedule or don't want to work on a flexible schedule. They have a very specific schedule that they want to work on. So I think there's a lot of meeting the team member where they are, but also remembering that this isn't just a free for all for employees. This is, this is still a business that we're running. And so we as leaders have to be able to set those guidelines and guardrails around what it is that we can accept and where can we provide that flexibility and where can we really have to hold the line and, and being upfront with our employees about both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is just such a unique time right now because of, well, what's going on economically. So that's one aspect of it. But then you're also looking at just this incredible flexibility. And I would just say power in the hands of the workforce out there to kind of dictate terms in a way that, you know, hearkening back to the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, every decade you can imagine prior to this one, where the employer, you know, basically, in in so many cases held the cards. Uh, Now that's, that's flipped a bit where there is so much more flexibility in the workforce, people want to work remote, or they want to be in the office, or they want to work just flat out remotely. They want to work in a place where the organization doesn't have um, office space because that's where they want to live. They want to be closer to home or closer to family or whatever. So how has that um, made things more difficult or just made you be more innovative and think more outside the box now if you want to get the best employees and keep them? Yeah, I think it's really about being able to step outside that box, right? And, and be flexible. And in some cases, it, it poses a lot of challenges, not just because the employee is remote, but there may be different HR laws in that other state where mm-hmm. that employee is that you've got to jump through. There's different tax implications of having a, a team member work in a state where you aren't located. Uh, so there are plenty of logistics to think through, and it may not be for every practice. It may not be possible for every practice to, to do something like that. But on the flip side, if there are opportunities and it may be a new way to engage with your patients, is there an opportunity for someone to be 
remotely interacting with primary care patients and providing that extra added touch where maybe they don't need to see the physician or even the nurse practitioner as often because they're interacting with a nurse over the phone. Um, and that may be able to help them stay in better control of their chronic disease, for example. So how do we really start to rethink the whole model of healthcare in general as we become more and more focused on wellness and keeping people um, truly well, as opposed to, you know, just not in the hospital or just, you know, just coming to see us all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one of the things that you explained to me in an earlier correspondence was this session is highly interactive. So for somebody who's going to show up <laughs> and be in your uh, session, what do they need to expect? What do they need to bring to the table? Do they need to be highly caffeinated? What's what does highly interactive mean here? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's an early session. I believe I'm in the seven o'clock hour. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> seven a.m. Eastern time. So if you're coming from the Pacific Coast, yeah, you may you may not even uh, go to sleep. You may still be awake from the night before. <laughs> Um, So I guess highly caffeinated would be a good thing. Um, But no, I think it's an opportunity for conversation. Um, We're going to talk not just about people, but also about processes and technology, because all three of those work together to develop a culture. I think too often we focus just on the people when really the process may be broken, or maybe we're using technology in a way that's actually creating more harm or creating more work than it could be if we used it in a slightly different way. I think too often we try to take our old paper process and just make it into you know a computerized process without really thinking through the implications of doing that. And if we were to redesign the way that we undertook the whole process, it may be that we come up with something entirely different, but it ends up in the same end result. It takes the same inputs, gets the same output, but the way that we get from point A to point B may be very different when we use an electronic process or when we just modernize and think through what's really necessary for our patients and what is going to give them the best and and sort of straightest path or or most beneficial path to getting where they want to go. Okay. Let's talk about your next session, because this one really intrigues me. It takes a more, I want to call it reflective uh, approach, but the title of this is Getting Unstuck, Revitalizing Our Sense of Self and Leadership. So give us the elevator pitch. Maybe this is more of an escalator pitch on this one. I don't know, but uh, what's what's the word on this one? <laughs> um. So excited about this one. I think over the last couple of years, I personally have just been on a a journey around developing a a greater sense of self, a greater sense of who I am as a leader. And as I've interacted with peers along the way, I find that others are kind of in the same place. And maybe it's where I am in my career path. Maybe mid-career is the time to do this reflection. Um, But I think it's an opportunity to, you know, unstick ourselves. It it can get to a place of feeling stuck. And how did we take, you know, how did we go from that bright eyed, excited, young professional um, to finding ourselves mid-career? Or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we're only a tiptoe down the road and we still are a young professional, or maybe we're well into our career and we don't want to go out sort of with a, with a sputter. We want to go out with a, with a bang. Um, as we look to extend our careers, you know, much later into our 60s, 70s, and sometimes even, you know, 80s and beyond, depending Mm -hmm. on the professional. Um, And how do we maintain that spark for life? Because I think that 
more and more research shows that that that's what what our joy what gives us our joy right like that's what that's why people stay in the workforce that's why people stay engaged and why they don't just sort of melt away into the sense that we want to we're here on earth for a reason and we you know have the opportunity to get the most out of life so we don't want to spend it you know feeling stuck in the mud we want to feel like um like we're doing something especially in healthcare, especially in leadership. I think it's just an awesome opportunity. And there's so many little ways that can get missed along the way that we can just begin to revive our spark and really begin to just enjoy what we do again or entirely, you know, find that maybe it is time to, to change the practice that we're interacting with, or maybe it's time to, you know, change our employer, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's time to change the culture of that that place where we're working, even if that culture is just our small team within, you know, a much larger organization. Right. So when you think about it, because you've been doing research on this for the presentation and just your outlook on, on leadership qualities, what gets people stuck and what, what do you call stuck versus I just don't like this one project I'm working on, you know, where do you isolate it from? I just, maybe there's an isolated thing I'm not enjoying versus... <sighs> I am flat out stuck in my career. I'm in mid-career. I'm in whatever part of my career and I need to get out of this mode that I'm in. Yeah, I think it takes a good bit of self-reflection um, and recognizing and thinking about, you know, it's not just about one day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not just about one week or one month. It's looking back and saying, you know, where am I? And are there things that I could change in a minute way? Like maybe it's that I'm changing my mindset. Maybe my mind has gotten to a place where I'm just looking at and finding the negative all the time. Our brains are, are programmed to do that because we're programmed to look for what's going to hurt us, what's going to harm us, what can we remove as an obstacle. And then healthcare reinforces that because that's what we do with our patients all day long. We're looking for how do we remove their illness? How do we prevent them from getting worse? How do we improve, you know, their, their health? And we're looking to that negative to remove it. Well, what if instead we framed ourselves around the joy and what we do well, instead of thinking about what are our weaknesses that we're going to try to get rid of, what if we thought about our strengths and what we could do to make them grow even more strongly, right? That mindset is really different and it takes little things. Um, and so certainly it's a both and so you can't I think it's it's not to say that we can yoga and mindset and you know positive thinking and Pollyanna our way out of being stuck but that's a part of it Mm -hmm. Um, I think that sometimes we do find ourselves in a situation where maybe we are not well matched with the organization anymore but other times we just have found that that an individual can begin to pivot their thinking and just look for the more positive because it's easy to get in the habit of just saying, oh, I've got this on my list and that on my list and get into kind of a mundane, I've got to do lots and lots of things um, as opposed to I get to do lots of things. I get to impact people's lives. I get to interact. And are we going to have that I get to as an automatic response? Not at first, not for a long time, maybe. You probably took a very long time to get uh, to a place of, of a negative mindset. Um, and so just looking little by little 
Um, and there are a lot of little exercises that we can do as individuals that we can bring to our teams so that they can do them as individuals. And then things that we can begin to look at just in the way that we tell ourselves the stories of our lives and tell ourselves who we are as leaders and who we are as individuals and beginning to really build upon the strengths there um, can be incredibly empowering and can find ourselves then suddenly sort of growing in a way that we thought we were stuck in the mud, but actually that that mud isn't is fully very, very rich. It's a very rich bog to be growing, you know, as a human, as a plant, as a whatever. And therefore we can begin to flourish even in the environment that we thought was so negative before. So For sure. We we find all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you then, you talked about exercises for uh the staff or if you want to address that or an example of a success story of getting unstuck, maybe through some of these exercises that you were talking. Uh, um, I think both. I think it's hard to say, you know, certainly it's probably not a situation where I can say, you know what, this person was on the verge of quitting and suddenly they turned themselves around, right? Like mm -hmm. well, it's, a, it's a process, it's a growth process. Um, but I do think that through, interacting with individuals. So I mentor a woman who is a manager in our organization, and she has seen a tremendous shift. She has stayed in the same department. Um, she was feeling very tied up um, and very bogged down by the not just the work that she was doing, but uh, the people she was surrounded by and her own vision of what her purpose was in that, in that part of our organization. And I think by through conversation and through her own self-reflection and through just asking herself questions or me asking her questions as kind of an outsider, because I don't know her material on a day-to-day -day basis, but I definitely was um, able to interact with her in a way that just started to ask the questions, you know, are you thinking about this in a way that is helpful? Are there ways where you're not showing up fully as yourself? Are you holding yourself back? Um, you know, are you too much sometimes and too little others? And how do you find they're the right way? And really are those descriptors not fitting in either of those cases either? Because I think that sometimes many of us hear, you know, oh my gosh, you're just a lot to handle or you're just too much or your personality is too big. So we start to dial ourselves back. Well, is that the right thing to do? Or really should we be fully into who we are? Um, or, you know, we hear people on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you're too shy, you're too quiet, you need to speak up more. Or does the rest of the group need to tone down so that the person who has that quieter voice or that smaller, um, you know, natural presence can really provide their words into the meeting, their insights into the topic um, in a way that fits their personality? So how do we kind of dance the, those two things together so that both the group and the individual are moving towards kind of optimal growth for both? Okay. So... We're talking about some kind of squishy uh, gray area <laughs> skills. So can you measure this sort of thing? Can you measure sense of self or stuck or being unstuck? I mean, how do you apply that? You know, because in healthcare, there's those analytical tools that people turn to. So how, can you do that? Yes, I, I think there are ways. I think when we talk about, um, you know, developing employee engagement might be another one of those squishy topics, but there are very specific questions that can help us to say, am I engaged in this work? And we can ask ourselves those questions as leaders, you know, do I meet these 12, you know, 
key questions that Gallup has found over and over again are those key things to helping us um, be engaged as leaders. Or, um, you know, can we ask ourselves, what percentage of my day is spent doing things that really bring me joy? Um, the research shows us that when we can spend up roughly 20% of our week, 20% of our work week, that's it, of those things that truly are life-giving, that we see an amazing turnaround in our burnout levels, an amazing turnaround in being able to be unstuck. So it doesn't take much. That's a really tiny amount of time as compared to our whole work week. But when we get to that 20%, it's a really big difference. Or can we start to categorize? You know, maybe we pay attention for a day on our, our thoughts, or maybe we pay attention for an hour on our thoughts. Um, when we start to see happy thoughts versus, you know, more negative thoughts, those positive growth-oriented thoughts versus um, negative ones, there, there is a ratio that, that makes sense. And it's roughly um, three to seven um, to one. So when we have between three and seven positive thoughts for every one negative, we are in a good place. Interestingly, if we get up over 11 or 12 positive thoughts for every one negative, um, that's not helpful either. Mm. <laughs> so that actually gets to be too positive And we end up in that sort of toxic positivity notion that, that hits social media sometimes where we're just not seeing, we're not allowing ourselves to see the negative and be prepared. So, so there's, yeah, there are some key characteristics and they take a little while. They're not as easy to measure as, you know, how many vaccines did I put in people's arms today, but it's, um, it's definitely something that we can measure and we can look at along the way. Well, I learned something, a term toxic positivity. So that's one that I am going to mark down here. I didn't know that was a thing, but uh, <laughs> that is so awesome. So before we sign off then, is there anywhere you would point people to on the internet, a website, a resource, a tool, anything where they could gain even more insight on leadership or your expertise, anything of that nature? Sure. So I know social media gets a bad rap, but I happen to love it. <laughs> I think as long as we are mindful about who we follow and what we allow to be part of, you know, what we're absorbing. So much like when we pay attention to what we eat, we, we can either have good or bad outcomes for our physical self. The same thing with when we pay attention to what we're reading and hearing. Um, and I think that's the same, you know, in the social media world. So I am on both Instagram and LinkedIn, and I love to be active on those two platforms. So sharing my own insights as well as the insights of others. Um, so you can definitely find me there. Um, and then my, some of my favorite leaders, there's a leadership first, um, is a great platform, um, again, on both LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, and Brené Brown is one of my, my mentors and, and favorite people to follow. And she of course has podcasts as well as, um, you know, LinkedIn and, um, and work on Instagram. So I, I think that between all of that, those are great places to kind of tiptoe in and get started. And there's just so much to learn out there um, and lots of great leaders in healthcare, I think, um, that really are excited about leading in healthcare because leadership in healthcare is an exciting place to be, even when it's a stressful place to be sometimes. Um, it really is an industry where we get to touch lives. And I think that's just such a, um, such a blessing for most of us. So um, I'm excited to be a part of healthcare leadership. All right. Well, Katie, thank you again for joining us on the MGMA Insights podcast. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. You are very welcome. Have a great day. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Katie Lawrence, Executive Director of Ambulatory and Medical Group Optimization at Prisma Health. 
Katie will also be a featured speaker at MGMA's Leaders Conference in Boston, which will be held there October 9th through the 12th. We also want to thank Social Climb and MGMA Events for sponsoring this week's show. If you're not collecting data on your marketing efforts, you're wasting your marketing spend. Visit get.socialclimb.com forward slash MGMA to learn how Social Climb's platform helps you get more patients with data-backed marketing that tracks patients from first touch to a scheduled visit and beyond. Registration for MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference is now open. Last year in San Diego, Leaders was a blast, and it was nice to get back to in-person events. And I'm excited to be there again this year in Boston. The conference is this October 9th through the 12th, so register soon and don't miss this opportunity to learn and advance your career. Head to mgma.com forward slash events to register and to learn more. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And to access all of our podcasts, go to mgma.com slash listen. And if you want to add to the conversation or suggest experts for us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at MGMA.com slash membership. Thanks.